Hi, Gary Stone from Sharewell Systems here. Sure, you may be trading stocks, ETFs, CFDs, futures, or even cryptos and FX, but how do you invest the money that really counts, including your retirement savings? Do you do it yourself, or do you feel you lack the strategies and confidence and have instead entrusted your retirement to a managed fund or financial advisor, or to somebody else to grow and protect your biggest investment? Go to sharewellsystems.com and download a case study that dissects a real money portfolio, which has achieved a return of double the ASX 200 accumulation index since January 2016. Sharewell Systems is proudly powering the spotty Your Call Hour right here on Ticker. Hello and welcome once again to Australia's Hour of Investing Power. This is the show that's as great as you want it to be. This is Spotty Live with no more lockdown in Melbourne Town. And for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be answering your questions live on air. And it's definitely a no jacket day today for me where, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I now know what it must feel like for my belly when I undo my belt. Uh, it's just bliss, to be honest with you. But look, we're here for the next hour. We're going to answer your stock questions, irrespective of what the market does. Send them through right now. Text us on 0480079089, or you can email us, question at spotty.com.au. Of course, you will see these details appear throughout the show, so there's no need to memorize those details. Um, if it does help, put it in your smartphone. Otherwise, get a tattoo to celebrate today's reopening um, or tomorrow's reopening. Uh, and yes, it does look quite snazzy, the young ones tell me. Uh, let's bring in today's two spotters. I'm going to start with my partner in Shine. It's Chris Batchelor from Spotty Consulting. G'day, Chris. How are you doing? G'day, Elio. Great, thanks. Good to be with no, you. No, great to uh, have you on the show as always. And uh, thanks very much for stepping in, mate, filling in for a, uh, a miss spot. Much appreciated. But then again, I suppose you got it now. Um, but look, all, uh, all jokes aside, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? And I think what would be really valuable for everyone asking questions today um, is just give us an insight into how you roll, you know, how you like to invest and the sort of companies you like to uh, uh, analyze. Sure, no worries, Elliot. Um, so my general approach is to uh, take an evaluate investing approach. And so that means that I'm pretty much uh, focused on what's going on day to day on the markets. I've been in this game for a long time, around 30 odd years and used to run a stock market research business. Uh, I generally look at the smaller to mid cap size end of the market and I'm usually steer and clear of the resources stock. So generally focused on industrials. That's right. And you can tell that from your general candy, you look like a straight up type of fella, not like the riffraff that do look at mining stocks like myself. So great to have you on the show. Thanks very much. And I'm sure we'll get some questions directed at you uh, soon, mate. Now, our next guest is one of our young guns. It's Braden Gardner from Trade Direct 365. How are you going, uh, Braden? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, Happy to Larry. Yeah, oh, mate, you're telling me. I'm, I'm certainly pumped. I tell you, everyone's lucky I turned up at the moment, but the pubs are still shut, so I can't get a drink. True. But nonetheless, though, um, for the moment that I do have you here, how about you tell us a little bit about your background and Trade Direct 365 because it's a, uh, you know, it's quite a good little uh, platform and even some of our guests on the program use it. So why don't you share with everyone what is so good about it? Will do, mate. I'll start off with where how I got into the industry. I basically got into my father and my older brother. 
about 2001, I think it was when I got the first start. I was a broker back then and it was about 2010, 11, I think when I left the industry and decided to trade for myself. So I've been trading myself, um, it's been a bit of a rocky road to start with, but I was initially mentored by a guy called Davin Clark and he was the one who started Trade Direct probably six, seven, eight years ago, I think now. So I've been working with him closely the last five or six years, um, just in Trade Direct 365, another company we've got going like an alert service called uh, Trade Setup. So we've been working together there. Basically, my trading is based around um, technical analysis and momentum and trying to analyze when the market's going to give us some um, action and mm. trying not to be in the market um, at the wrong time and try to make, you know, make use of our money correctly, I guess. Um, so yeah, that's um, where I come from. And today we're just working together on tradedirect365.com.au. That's the website. Uh, we offer a rebate there and the beauty of the platform is that um, they're fixed spreads. So I think that's very important, especially if it last night was anything to go by. Mm -hmm. uh, we might have a bit of a, a spike in volatility, which will be interesting and great to trade too. But um, it's really important to have fixed spreads and we offer a rebate up to $2,500. So feel free to check out the website, uh, www.tradedirect365.com.au. Could have said it better myself, Brad, and we will repeat that website too throughout the show as well for those that are looking for a solution to embrace this uh, short-term volatility. But of course, you do need to be aware of the risks and Trade Direct 365 have got that written all over their website. Well, before we get started, folks, it's important for me to remind you all that the information in today's show, including our bad jokes, are of a general nature only. None of them take into account your personal objectives, financial situations or needs, and therefore, should you decide to act on any of this information, you need to do so in line of your own personal circumstances. Past performance is no indicator of future performance, and if there is anyone other than your significant other in life that you want to discuss uh, any of this content with, then you need to do so with an advisor that's licensed to do so. Oh, and uh, yes, just remember too, folks, that we try to uh, remember when we do have an interest in the, the stocks that are discussed today, uh, but in the heat of discussion, sometimes we do forget. Feel free to contact us directly, and we'll be happy to clarify our position on any stock that you're interested in. Now, for the next hour, Spotty is uh, proud to be powered by our sponsors at ShareWealth Systems. And since 1995, ShareWealth Systems have helped investors protect and grow their share portfolio with a rules-based investing approach that gives them an edge over others. So if you wish to learn more about the team powering our spotlight and how you too can win the race of investing life, then please go to their website, sharewealthsystems.com, and be sure to read all the relevant information on screen before making any decision. All right, then, as we go to air currently, the market, uh, just having a look there, uh, down 1.27%. It's uh, peaked down, then bubbled up a little bit, uh, as we call in the classics, dead cat bounce, and now has begun its retracement back down. And we'll be very keen to hear Braddon's thoughts in regards to the market's moves at the moment and what this means, particularly with so much uncertainty around with COVID and US elections and all the rest of it. But for our topic today, I am going to keep it stock specific though, because uh, seriously, a 1.2% decline in the market is not catastrophic and I'm not gonna really give it airtime. Fall a couple more percent, maybe I will then. So I'm gonna stick to the topic of the day today, which really is the sale of USG, um, the stake that Borrell has in USG uh, to uh, Gnauf. Um, who are the other joint venture partner involved. Now, for those that have may, if you've missed it, uh, Borrell sold his 50% interest in USG Borrell for some $1.4 billion. Um, now, this plasterboard JV had been one on the board for quite some time in regards to possibly offloading it. Chris, be very interested to get your view in regards um, to the announcement. The uh, stock was actually holding up quite okay when we went to air. 
The next bunch of assets, I suppose, everyone's talking about are those American assets that they could possibly move off. Do you take the, uh, today's development as a sign that they're well and truly on the way to doing that? Um, yeah, I think it's a good development, Elio. They're simplifying the business, which is often a good strategy, particularly when you've got partial ownership stakes in a particular element of the business. Mm. The other thing that is a real positive is they're selling at a really good price. You worry when they undertake these types of reviews that stock uh, assets get sold at really cheap prices. But on this occasion, they're getting a really good multiple uh, and they're selling it at quite a decent profit. Uh, part of the reason for that is they're selling it to the party that owns the other half of the yeah. business. And so that business has a, a vested interest in trying to uh, acquire the rest of it. Um, also, I think just in terms of the business overall, you know, they're carrying a lot of debt. So this will help to strengthen the balance mm. sheet. So overall, I think it's a plus for the business. Yeah, uh, look, I've got to, uh, got to agree with you on the fundamental side, but of course, charts can do their thing. Um, but, you know, the stock's up around close to uh, 3.5% at the moment, uh, Braddon. It's a share price which has had its acrimonious history, but since those March uh, COVID lows has pretty much gone in one direction as talk of the offloading of these uh, assets has uh, really started to gather pace. So is this a trade that you would consider being in? Would you have been in it? What's the um, what's the tale of the tape telling you over the last few weeks and uh, at the moment? All right, just uh, I've got the code up there. All right, so it's it's um, head up where it is at the moment. I think it's, it's just run up into a bit of resistance around the $16, uh, $16 mark. Mm -hmm. And it's built a nice little base, so it's worked its way up off 10. And it's, yeah, like you said, uh, since a bit of a sell-off, it's sort of flushed out a lot of buyers, I think, um, some of the weak hands through that $10 mark, but reclaimed it pretty quickly. And since then, it's just been sort of one-way action all the way up to the 16 mark. So now, what I'd like to see, I'd just like to see a bit of a pullback. If it can hold another high low and any, um, any buyers are happy to soak up some of the selling pressure, then it's really just a matter of... Um, Potentially, if it's around the $15 mark, $14, $14.50 or so, mm. um, then it'll look good for a push up through 16 and potentially, you know, to the highs through 18 to 20. Um, for now, it's, um, yeah, it is one way action at the moment. Okay, I think I, we uh, I think we just dropped out there. Make sure you uh, just shut down a few of those browsers, uh, Brad, and we'll make sure we uh, get the, uh, the remainder of that later. But because you want to no, be on this one here because we've got... Now, Sean, love you, Sean. You've been reading too much Ray Dalio, but that's okay. I still love you because you're a regular contributor to the program. Chris, obviously the elephant in the room that many people have talked about uh, in regards to the world and our markets and all that sort of thing is in regards to China and the US sort of, you know, chesting up and, and beating, uh, beating up against one another, economy number one and economy number two. Now, uh, how that plays out here in Australia is becoming quite interesting, particularly with the geopolitical tensions that are rising. We've seen it impact wine, we've seen it impact barley, and there's a few others um, that are likely to occur. Could there be a military conflict? I mean, all these sorts of things are questions that people are asking, whether it occurs or not. I'm not going to suggest that, but the fact that it's being asked means it could potentially influence things. Stocks, the, the, now there's been darlings like Fortescue, BHP and Rio. Iron ores obviously would be the last bastion. You think prior to any sort of conflict, be it either armed or um, technological, um, the last bastion you'd think would be iron ore. Now, 
Is there any likelihood in your little office there in Sydney, mate, and I know you're across a whole lot of things, you're a very smart and intelligent man, is there any possibility that this trade discussion and all that sort of thing could extend into iron ore? Um, what are the probabilities and therefore how would it impact our iron ore miners, particularly the big guys? Sure. Well, of course, Elia, anything's possible, but some things are extremely unlikely. The economic cost of curtailing or banning exports to China, especially iron ore, would be huge. So it would be an absolute last resort for the government mm. to go down that path. Um, investing is all about assessing probabilities of likely future outcomes. So the probability of that particular scenario unfolding is extremely small, and I wouldn't be giving it any real credence in your investment analysis. We can always think of examples of things that could potentially go wrong. And likewise, we can always imagine things that could go really well. But the trick to being an investment analyst is to understand what are the likely future outcomes, what probability should you assign to those, and then to focus on that. So then I suppose the natural extension, Brad, and then, you know, beyond that, I mean, you've got to block out the noise. Chris is 100% right. But, you know, some may say, or look, point to the chart as some sort of indicator that, you know, that's the time to, you know, get the smart money, as it were, although, you know, a lot of it's pretty stupid. Uh, you don't need brains to um, have money. So when it comes to looking at price action, why don't you give us a brief overview now as to where you see the current, uh, the All Lords and the S&P 200, because obviously now those guys make up such a large part of it and therefore their price is going to be reflected in that. So where does our market currently sit after what's been a pretty solid October? Yeah, I've just been watching it for a while, looking at that 6200 level on the uh, ASX 200. It's struggled, so it's, it's pushed up there recently back in June and sort of backed off from there, held some high lows into that, failed again uh, later on somewhere around August a couple of times. It backed off, um, got down to around 58, had another good run up at, uh, run up at the level and just broke up through 62 recently. So it's backed off there. It's trading around the 6100 60, mark today. Um, what I'd like to see is that um, this level hold, and I think that will push up through 62 and start to make new highs um, mm. on its way, potentially, you know, with any luck up to back up to the 7000 mark. Um, but we'll see how that goes. But it's just that 6200 level at the moment for me. I'm seeing a bit of weight coming to the market. And every time it sort of pops up through there, especially intraday too, it's getting sold back down again. But it may just be a bit of a reset. Um, and I'm really looking for that. Know, somewhere around 6,000 to 6,100 to hold uh, hold a high load and see if we can launch from there. A reset? Geez, I thought stocks only went up, Braden. But anyways, we'll talk about that <laughs> another time. Uh, okay, let's get into the specific uh, stock questions. And I want to go to the first one from Keith. It was a stock that released an update yesterday, uh, Chris. It was Nick Scarly, NCK, uh, as the company coded. Updated its guidance today, or well, that was yesterday now. Um, he sent it through aftermarket close. Um, do you like it, quite simply? So for those that may have missed it, it upgraded its earnings guidance, or sorry, revenue guidance. I think it was uh, initially they planned for 50 to 60%, but that got upgraded to 70 and 80%. Um, the stock went down, though, on the back of that. So we're ignoring that price action for the minute there, uh, Chris. What's uh, your view in regards to NCK? Um, very positive, Elio. Oh, okay, excellent. Yeah, we're only four months into the year and they're already on track to smash all their revenue and profit records. Mm -hmm. That said, I wouldn't expect this rate of sales to continue. Yep. As Australia and New Zealand start to return to some sort of normal, that discretionary spend will start to shift away from homewares and towards other things like travel and entertainment. But long term, this is a really well-run business with a strong founder-led management team. 
I have to say I've owned this stock for five years, more than five years, and it's been a very profitable investment. As it started to decline in that initial COVID collapse back in March, I did a valuation and I based it on what I considered to be a worst case scenario where they received zero revenue for six months. Mm. Uh, based on that, I started buying the stock as it fell below $4 and then again as it fell below $3. Not too long later, I was able to take some profits as it hit $9. So whilst it, it may suffer in a market-wide correction, that in itself could be another opportunity to add as in the long run, its prospects are good. But as I said, it, it won't sustain this current rate of sales growth. Yeah, we'll talk a bit about that topic in a moment because there was another question about that. We'll, we'll discuss that in a minute, Chris. But uh, Braden, if I can get you to have a look at that chart, is this one of those reset moments you were talking about potentially? Um, and what sort of key levels would Keith need to be watching here for the uh, thematic to change? Yeah, I think it's um, it's had a bit of a push up in that 950 level and it looks like more profit taking from you know a solid run up from back in uh, March. So, so again, it's been one way action all the way up and you've got to take profit sooner or later. Uh, maybe it was into the news, you know, buy the rumour, sell the fact. Um, so at the moment, that looking a bit heavy around the 950 mark, but I think around the 750 or up to eight, uh, if we can hold that level and sort of reset around there, which you like to hear, and then mm. if that can hold and can sort of consolidate these highs, that's where I'll be looking for, you know, buyers to start stepping at higher levels and push it up through 950 from there. Excellent. Thank you. Hopefully that helps you there, uh, Keith. But Chris, I do want to talk uh, because Joe sent a question through. Uh, whereby he said Victoria seems to be opening up. I don't know if you heard everyone, but nonetheless, uh, retail stocks today, again, he sent this after close, got slammed. Is he missing something? Uh, thanks, guys. Best show on the net. Thank you very much, uh, Joe. Okay, so, I mean, we're talking about stocks, uh, Chris, like Marley Spoon, which fell some 30-odd percent, Adore Beauty, a recent listing, down 16%, uh, Templewood, uh, Temple and Webster, sorry, down 7%. Uh, Kogan 6, uh, Baby Bunting 6. There was a real big sell-off across um, all the boards. What is it that Joe's missing that perhaps uh, may help him uh, rationalise why there was a big sell-off despite the news that Victoria's uh, retail industry uh, will be reopening shortly? Sure, Elliot. Well, first of all, whilst it's awesome that Victoria's opening up, particularly for you guys down there, it's not actually news. Everyone was expecting that. So it's not going to make any real difference to these uh, shares on a longer term perspective. But what you need to understand is retail's had a very hard run over recent times. And that's despite the fact that we're in this economic hardship. Many of these stocks have multiplied by significant multiples, like Kogan's up six times since mm -hmm. March, um, Temple and Webster up seven times. So, you know, when, when you look at the this correction over the last few days, well, yeah, okay, Kogan's now only up about five times, same with Templar and Webster. But that still represents a really strong run. Um, these types of growth rates, they're not sustainable. And so the recent falls, they're a natural correction as markets realise that exponential growth is just not going to continue indefinitely. And, you know, while spending patterns have shifted somewhat, the fact is the pie hasn't gotten any larger. In fact, it's actually shrunk. So many of these stocks still have very bright prospects, but I think it's just a dose of reality was needed. Yeah, although I do have to uh, sort of take you to task in saying that everyone knew we were going to reopen, uh, Chris, because, of course, the day before we got this massive letter from 
our uh, Prime Minister, the Treasurer and everyone else that wanted to attach their name to it, telling us that we had to reopen as a course of priority. But of course, we were sort of already on that track. And then when we did announce that we were reopening, I didn't see the joint letter come through congratulating us for reopening. They must have missed the memo. Uh, but Braden, I want to talk about one of the stocks too that was included or not included in that bunch, but definitely bundled up. It's a recent listing, mydeal.com. Um, uh, code is MYD, another one of these guys benefiting from that. And let's face it, if Victoria's reopened, then those that have had the 100% sort of, you know, focus in regards to online selling, um, you know, potentially there could be a little bit of market share that they're going to lose on the back of that. So that's the other thing to consider, Joe. But in regards to Adrian's question, my deal, it's a recent listing. Now, he's asked what can he make of it or is it too early to tell? From a fundamental perspective, it is too early to tell. So I'll quickly nip that one in the bud. But, and even from a chart perspective, but when it comes to money management, and you see this aggressive action in MYD as you have, where it spikes initially on listing and then it just absolutely goes through the floor. What should investors be thinking? How should they be thinking about you know, taking a position? They're looking for stag. We know they want that short-term profit, but the pursuit of a short-term profit can become a long-term loss if left unchecked, can't it? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for something where it's obviously been sold off and you're a believer in it, um, in, in the case of um, MYD, I think looking to pick the bottom, you, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't anyway go anywhere near it if it's just heading straight down in one direction. And what I'd want to see is um, obviously buyers start to step in and soak it up. I would rather someone else do the heavy lifting, um, start to support the stock. And if we get some sort of high low where buyers are starting to step in at slightly higher prices, I'd be willing to have a bit of a nibble at it, especially if the fundamentals are looking good. Um, like you said, it might be too early to tell just yet. So I think um, if it can hold, you know, if it's looking to hold around this level 140, I'd rather see you know, a push up to 144, 45 or so, a bit of a pullback, but hold again above 140 area. Uh, so just to get that higher low where it's showing me evidence that other people are starting to step in at slightly higher levels, get that rise in volume. Uh, and then um, I think the action could be on, it could be looking to you know, retrace some of that, those losses it's had recently. Okay, and as uh, Confucius said, when talking about trying to catch stocks like this, man who tries to pick bottom end up with smelly finger. It's a pretty dangerous game, that. Uh, Chris, though, one stock that hasn't had that same pullback, which coincidentally made its name through selling online and the innovative technologies that are, you know, out there in regards to getting it over the board and it's sort of covered off the fact that the product itself may not actually be all that great. Uh, I'm sure it is to some people, just not me. But Domino's Pizza, DMP, it has not fallen anywhere near as far as what some of those other names I suggested. And yet they too really do sell online. I mean, you don't go to a Domino's pizza venue and eat there. You basically just order it online either way. Yet it doesn't seem to be impacted. So is this a testimony to the quality of this business that it's able to ride through this particular um, volatile period for a lot of these online uh, retailers? Yeah, I think so, Elia. It's a well-run business. Um, also, you know, during tough times like we've been through, mm. people... You know, it provides a, a cheap way to get a, a meal that you don't have to make yourself. It's all very convenient, the way they've set up their business with the online, um, cheap delivery, etc. cetera. Uh, it, it's actually been in a really good spot throughout this COVID period. So yeah, I think it's, it's you know, good business. Couldn't have said it any better, and it seems to be riding through that. And yeah, I mean, you know, the business will look after it. The announcement stuff—that's just uh, short term. 
Uh, I'm going to go to the text machine here. I've got Mark who's actually just texted me saying, can we please shed some light on the following two gold mining stocks, Calidus Resources and Capricorn Metals. Uh, CAI is Calidus's uh, share, um, share code and uh, CMM is Capricorn for those of you playing along at home. But I'll start with Calidus uh, first. Now they've got uh, what, what is called uh, the uh, Warrawoona Gold Project in uh, West Australia. Now they're involved in early construction works at the moment in order to get the mine going, uh, which the company confirmed is economically viable. So that's a big tick in regards to that. Now it used in its assumptions, and it's important to note that because obviously this is where you know the margins get to be played around with and obviously determine whether it's viable or not. Uh, they assume a $2,500 Aussie gold price with all in sustaining costs in Aussie dollar terms at $1,290. So it's actually quite reasonably cheap uh, to get it out of the ground. Now, the initial deposits only for eight years, which in of itself would not necessarily be all that exciting. But according to the company, um, they will be up and running within 10 months. There is also the potential increase of the resource by some 30% due to underground drilling, which could uh, find more. Uh, and they also acquired Blue Spec uh, from a company called Nova Resources, a, a Toronto listed business, which is some 70 kilometers down the road. And they're currently drilling there. And they've also got a joint venture deal um, in Otways, in uh, Nelligine, uh, also looking for gold there. So, you know, it's a really interesting kind of story. I'll, I'll bundle up Capricorn as well in a moment, but I'll, I'll go to Braddon first in regards to CAI. Um, it had a very strong run, but it's sort of share prices that consolidated a little bit. Um, your view in regards to key levels? Yeah, it's, it has, has a, had a strong run, but it's holding up quite nicely. It's still, you know, to me, well and truly in an uptrend. It has backed off from those highs around 73 cents or so the last few days. But it's pretty much right where it is around the 61, 60 mark. Uh, if we can hold up here, I can have another another run higher and just continue that higher trend. Um, as long as people start to soak it up around this level, it starts to break down too much. I really wouldn't want to see it get through 53. Um, if it gets through 53, I don't mind if it tests that and starts to bounce and then um, you get support coming in at that level and it could just have a bit of a reset and start to launch back up again. But at the moment, right where it is, is not a bad um, spot, but it just needs to find some buyers right here. Okay, so Capricorn is actually quite similar in a similar stage of its business cycle, but their project is uh, Carla Winda. Uh, now, that's a, a little bit more advanced in construction, actually. In fact, the company says it expects to be up and running before the end of the financial year, being June, of course, next year. Now, they have, based on estimates, uh, said that they expect a higher production rate. Now, that currently, they said it sits around 105 to 110,000 uh, ounces, uh, as opposed to the 90,000 uh, that CAI uh, have put forward. They're also going to be a little bit cheaper, uh, all in sustaining costs being 1,190, and the mine life is expected to be 10 years. And they, too, have further exploration upside as well. There is also a very strong Regis resources attachment here. Uh, Kim Macy is the ex-CFO, is now the CEO there. Uh, and Chairman Mark Clark was once the CEO of Regis uh, as it ramped up, particularly Duxton, the major project there. So which is the better of the two, you might be asking, Mark? Well, they're much a muchness, to be honest with you. Calidus is one drill hole away, really, to be honest with you, from taking over Capricorn and vice versa. Uh, for, the, for the record, though, brokers are more optimistic about Calidus at this stage of its journey. I like investing in Goldies at this stage, to be honest with you, because you know there's still enough risk, enough unknowns that could lead to that nice price upside that you get. Uh, but also on the positive, a lot of the downside risk has been removed because they're on the cusp of production. 
I've had success with stocks like uh, Gold Road, Bellevue, uh, Saracen. Um, you know, they're the types of stocks where you get in just pre-production and then they find something else which gives it that next kick up. Might happen here, might not. That's something you need to uh, consider yourself. But if they were on a racetrack at the moment, in my view, CWM is slightly ahead, but that doesn't really matter much because their upcoming quarterly may very well change that, which is due shortly. Just briefly, Braddon, in regards to CWM, thanks, uh, because its pullback has been a lot more aggressive than CAI. Yeah, I actually don't mind that at all. It's had, had a good little run up. It's had um, uh, support coming around 93 cents and it's been rallying since then. So you've seen a couple of, a bit of heat come out of that rally is not a bad thing. It's still, you know, it can easily maintain that uptrend if it has a bit of a pullback, find some buyers step, stepping in around at 165, 66, 67. I think it'd have uh, a good little upside from there. Okay, uh, we'll get to the next question in a moment. But Braden, before we do, just to let you know, you'll be going first in regards to stocks to help us see the light on. So I'll let you uh, uh, get prepared in regards to that. I do want to ask uh, Chris, though, because one of the other stocks that had a very big announcement yesterday was well known to, is well known to everyone, Westpac Banking Corporation, code WBC, for those playing along at home or if you've been sleeping under a rock. Its announcement yesterday, Rudolph, another $1.2 billion is only money. That's one thing I think you can uh, take away from this recent COVID crisis. It's only money. It doesn't matter. Um, but in regards to the question, Ben wants to know, despite the big write-down, is the worst now over? Because, of course, Westpac actually, I think, went up yesterday, despite the fact that it had that big write-down. Chris, Westpac, is it a stock you'd like uh, over the years? Is it one you've been invested in? Um, you know, what's your view on it at the moment, particularly with yesterday's developments? Yeah, sure, Elliot. I did hold Westpac for quite a number of years, but in the second half of last year, so between sort of August and November, I sold out, got okay. between 25 to $29. <laughs> so I'll give you my reasons why I sold out then, and then we can compare those to the situation today. So. I felt Westpac, along with the other big four banks, are on increasing earnings pressure. Growth mm -hmm. is very hard to come by in a slowing economy, and particularly with declining interest rates. And costs are rising due to compliance and remediation costs. Then you've got the net interest margins getting squeezed in a falling interest rate environment, remembering that deposit rates have a floor of zero. Um, the decision to move out of financial planning, that was a good one, but has been costly in the short term. High rates of ROE they had achieved in the past, up around the 15% back in 2014. It's now down around to 11%, unlikely to increase. Dividends been flat for four years. Growth's unlikely because of the pressure on earnings and also the higher levels of capital that are currently required. And then increasing regulatory pressure with the AECCC inquiring into loan pricing, among other things. And there's also evidence of increasing competition in the sector. So you've got small players coming in. You've got the um, open banking data regime being introduced. You've got some of the foreign players like ING taking um, some market share. And then lastly, of course, banks are, are a leverage play to the economy. And back in August last year, the bond market was suggesting that the economy was looking at a downturn. Now we know where we are today. Most of these factors haven't changed, and many of them you could say they're, they're more pronounced than what they were 12 months ago. So yeah, the announcement yesterday, they're cleaning out the skeletons from the cupboard during a down year. They know this year's ter terrible for earnings, so why not completely smash it and throw in everything that you can, 
in the hope that next year you'll have a much better um, earnings picture. So in answer to Ben's question, I would say, whilst it looks like the big disasters are hopefully all out and over, you know, things like the Austrac scandal, I still don't think the prospects for Westpac are particularly bright. Yeah, well, hate to be the bearer of bad news uh, there, Ben, but, you know, it's about managing risk, often money management and uh, managing your uh, life savings. And therefore, you've got to balance uh, in regards to which side of the ledger there are, more upside risks or downside risks. As uh, Chris has perfectly articulated, the downside risks are winning at the moment. All right, then, Braden, it's time for you to step up to the plate and give us a big swing, your slugger, and tell us two stocks to see the light on in regards to companies that you think are really interesting for us to analyse. We're going to toddle off, do our own research and see whether they align with our own personal objectives and tolerance to risk. So what two companies do you want to help us see the light on today? Okay, the first one is uh, PNV. I think it's one of your favourites from what I recall. certainly is, Polynovo, yep. Looking, looking very good. We're actually uh, just got in that yesterday or the day before, I think it was, uh, that little push up through 254. So for me, it's holding, what I really like is that base that's built just above two. Um, it, it's got smashed back in, what, February, April, got all the way back down to $1.40, recovered from there, got up to around 280. But then that first pullback, it's really spent a lot of time soaking up any sort of selling pressure that was coming in uh, above that two, 210 mark. And from there, it's just started to lift and it's got a little higher low around 240, which I really like. So I think this one's on the rise for me. I really like the way it is. The break up through 260, I think will lead to a push to 280 and so on and potentially right up back up to the highs of 320 or so. So to me, that's looking really, really good. I like the, the look of that structure there. Uh, the second one is something we've actually been in before. We, we got out, oh, I don't know, probably last month or so, is Bigger Cheese, BGA. Mm -hmm. um, for me, that's had that little run up. I had a push up through the highs back from, it was May, May this year. It got up through those highs uh, about September this year and it's backed off since, but it's starting to consolidate around or just above that 520 mark and looking quite good. So as long as it holds up for me uh, around five, you know, 10 to 20, it can hold those lows. It's down today under a bit of pressure today, which um, most of the market is. Uh, but if it can lift and hold up above that level and start to push up through 540, will be a buy just through there. So to me, that's looking good. And I think that could lead to a push up through 560 and so on. All right, then. So Polynovo, PNV, uh, and of course, Bigger Cheese or Bigger, BGA, the two stocks that Braden wants to help us see the light on. Well, we're about halfway through now. Remember to ask us your question, question at spiny.com.au or text us 0480 0790089. If we can't get to your question today, I promise we will get it uh, get, uh, get onto it over subsequent episodes. And you'll see at the bottom of every episode, we do list the stocks we discuss and also where in order they've appeared to help you slide across and get, the one, get to the one that is of most interest to you. And yes, we're also available on podcasts as well. We continue our exploration of the 16 traits of successful investing that our great supporters at ShareWealth Systems have made available to all viewers at Spotty. And today we learn why embracing risks has its rewards. Now, to, you know, the people who succeed in life are the ones who step off the sideline and get onto the pitch. Uh, you can't kick goals from five rows back. Basically, you've got to be out there. And as Chris alluded to earlier when we talked about uh, Sean's doomsday theory and what could possibly happen there with the China-Australia deal, it could happen, who knows? But if you just keep waiting for those sorts of events, you're just always going to miss out. The best players know that there is no glory without taking risks, uh, but they don't do it willy-nilly. 
Unless you're Brandon Smith, of course. I mean, one day Cheese is going to get himself killed the way he plays rugby league. But anyway, we won't go there. Uh, they, <laughs> the champions do look to account for and manage those risks. And as an investor, you need to do the same as well. So go to www.16traits.com to learn why embracing risks has its rewards and why you have to understand them, measure them, and then act accordingly. All right, then, as we go to air, currently the market, uh, just uh, touching on, uh, just down a little bit further, actually, the XJO down 1.36% as we go to air. So, gentlemen, hopefully we can smash through a few more uh, companies and get that positive momentum uh, back up and running. I am going to go to you on this one here, uh, Chris. It's a text message question. It's a stock, uh, GDG is their code, Generation Development Group. Now, uh, I'll read the question. It's from Jason. It says, I'd love to get a view on that stock, especially after the recent acquisition, acquisition of Lonsec. Uh, they're growing funds under administration as well. Uh, they've, uh, that is essentially locked in for at least 10 years. And they're working on new products like annuities, which, of course, have been a good save for uh, Challenger um, as well and, and has gone well there. So, Chris, are you familiar with GDG? Is it a company you're, uh, that's on your radar? It's not one that I follow, but I've had a bit of a look at it. Mm -hmm. uh, very interesting business. It actually operates as a registered pool development fund. Ah, so yeah. what that means, it's a specialised um, structure which provides certain tax advantages. Mm. Um, and what they do is they provide development capital to financial sector businesses. So it, for those of you who can remember back in the early 90s, there was a company called Ozstock Group, and, and they are what has evolved now into Generation Development Group. Uh, so they also have a, a life business. So as was mentioned, funds under management about 1.3 billion. And they did a capital raising back in September to purchase 37% stake in Lonsec. Now Lonsec's a business that's very familiar to us those of us who work in this industry, yep. they're a research house and they provide research on uh, investment products such as managed funds and superannuation. So when you look at this business, you know, the main metrics such as funds under management, sales, earnings per share, they've all been trending up. So that's all, all positive, but it is a complex business in terms of its structure, which you really need to take quite a bit of time to understand. But on the face value, Today's prices, I'd say, does appear to be quite expensive. The market cap is around 40 times that FY20 net profit. So, you know, just looking at that, it's not one that jumps out to me as a, as a huge opportunity. No, and it's, uh, I remember the old <laughs> um, stock, uh, uh, the stock in the day, and a few of our clients would often talk about the tax advantages. Well, I know many people that have invested uh, looking for tax advantages. It's, it's never worked out for them. I mean, think about those agribusinesses like Great Southern Plantation and the like, you know, ostriches with leaves, really, to be honest with you, just rubbish. And, and you know, that, I just see so many bad decisions based on tax. But it's a license to print money. That's why investors consider it. Uh, Braddon, I'm going to go to you. It's from our resident um, ETF man, Kevin. G'day, Kevin. Thanks very much for keeping us on our toes and reminding us that there is another part to the market other than just regular stocks. There's three ETFs that I'm going to read the code out to you, Braddon. Um, and I want you basically to give us your view in regards to which of the price, uh, which of their prices look the best. And then I'll go to Chris for his view as to which one he thinks might be better. They're all from the BlackRock stable. So we're talking about a very reputable organization, well capitalized, 
you know, the sorts of you know, key caveats that you want to see in an ETF, they absolutely meet them. So the first is IXI, which is iShares Global Consumer Staples. The next one is IEU, which is iShares Europe. And then the last one is WDMF, which is the multi-factor, the world multi-factor model uh, that they have. So IXI, IEU, and WDMF, which of those has the better looking chart at the moment? Uh, I'll kick it off with IXI. It's, it's in an uptrend, it's looking quite good. It's holding some higher lows and it had a little spike up through 80 and it's backed off since then. So really, if it's gonna continue the trend up, it's gonna hold somewhere around here and start to lift from here. Uh, which would suggest that it's going to you know, push back up through 80 and it's going to start targeting towards probably longer term up towards 84. So that one's actually not looking too bad. If you go to IEU, uh, what I'm looking at there, it's not so crash hot to me. It's had a you know big move down from well, in February, March. It got you know, smashed down from about 72, 70 mark all the way down to 46. Um, and it's since recovered, but now that action, that price action from about June or so, it's been pretty much sideways. So it's not looking too crash hot at the moment. That's more consolidation. And if it's consolidation of that, that rally up, means it's running out of buys in my perspective, um, which would suggest that anyone that has been buyed up is gonna be uh, forced out sooner or later and it's gonna start to run back down towards those lows. So where to from here? Not quite sure. You've got support coming around 55, 20 or so. Uh, but for now, it looks like it's getting a bit heavy. Now, WDMF, a bit of a tongue twister there, is yeah. looking a lot like IXI. Okay. Um, I don't mind that. It's, it's it's heading higher. It's holding higher levels. So anything that's holding higher levels and uptrend, it's had a big flush down from the highs, you know, the same period, Fed, March, big flush off those highs at around 37, uh, all the way back down to 27 since recovered. But since it's recovered, it's starting to hold. And that little pop up since uh, about September, mid-September, end of September, is looking quite good. So if it can hold up around these levels, it's just retesting roughly where it broke out, hold up here and start to edge its way higher. It's looking quite good, but those out of the three, I'd probably be favouring IXI at the moment. Okay, IXI is Braden's pick there uh, for you, Kevin. Oh, sorry. Yes, Kevin. Um, in regards to uh, you there, uh, Chris, uh, I know we don't normally look at ETFs. That's not our sort of style as bottom-up stock pickers, but um, is there one of those that you would think uh, seems more interesting in terms of the thematic and also filling a hole in someone's portfolio? Yeah, sure. Like you say, generally I would avoid ETFs because you've got to take a view on a market and there's just so many unknown variables when you're doing yeah. that. Um, having said that, um, the one that I think was the most interesting is WDMF. Uh, they focus on developing markets and what they do is they target four factors. So factors that have historically been drivers of return. So specifically quality, value, size, and momentum. So there've been studies done that have shown that if you weight a portfolio towards those particular factors, then you have a reasonable chance of outperforming. So that could be a good source of diversification, which can, can be useful and potentially could generate some decent returns over time. The other two, you know, consumer staples, you're tracking an index of, um, consumer staple businesses. So basically things that are very defensive like food and, you know, people always have to eat, but at the same time, the amount they eat doesn't really change very much. And when you're looking at a basket, you know, one stock will do well, but it's doing well at the expense of someone else. 
similarly with Europe, um, well, not similarly, but Europe has been tracking sideways for the last five years. And when you look at the economy, there's not a whole lot to be optimistic about, really. Mm. So out of those three, I'd go for the, the last one, WDMF. Excellent. Thank you very much for those insights there. I just have a few follow-ups just from the other day um, in regards to young James, who um, asked about um, LSH, which was the stock we talked about yesterday uh, with Niv. He had a follow-on question, which unfortunately he sent after the show was finished, so we couldn't answer it then. Uh, basically wanted to know um, uh, Canvalate, which is a company that's come in as an investor, and the new CEO, Matthew Golden, uh, could we comment in regards to them? Is there going to be a change in strategy, such as the telehealth or the like? You know, is it going to impact the growth drivers, you know, to paraphrase what he asked? Well, um, I did get in contact with Niv after the show just to uh, run uh, his uh, view over it as to see what he thought. And, and I'll, I'll keep it succinct in regards to what he said. Basically, Canvalate have been involved in um, IHL, which is iConnects Healthcare, which is also another listed company. And since their involvement, the price has rallied significantly uh, since their appointment. Now, Matthew Golden, um, he is basically a commercial healthcare professional. He's been in the space for almost 20 years in the pharmaceutical industry, both in Australia and overseas, uh, primarily with Pfizer as well as Medical Developments International, uh, the old Penthrax, the little green whistles, um, as it were. So uh, Matthew's got a very strong track record of successful local and international product launches, uh, according to Niv. Um, and uh, he's also established very strong sales growth in all the products that he's had, including launching digital marketing initiatives, which have worked quite well. In sum, he feels that to, uh, together with the new inclusions of these uh, strategic people, plus the market cap of only $7 million, that's right, folks, remember it was tiny, then LSH is, has very strong potential for a turnaround. So that paraphrases what he said there. Hopefully that helped you there, James. Um, to Anthony, who also asked about Stavely Resources, SVY, I really can't add any more than what Tony Lacantro talked about on the 21st. So if you go to spotty.com.au, have a look at that. Uh, episode because Tony talks about Stavely there and he raised capital for the company. So to be honest, I'm not going to embarrass myself. I'm going to let him uh, talk about its prospects. He's obviously quite bullish on it. Um, but yeah, do have a, a little listen there to gain um, his insights. Uh, Braddon, I do want to come to you with a stock that we also talked about yesterday. Another update, Alcidian, ALC. Now they reported a quarterly update today saying contracted revenue grew some 14% over the September quarter. Cash receipts from customers grew 34% to 6.4 million. Its share prices jumped 4.5% on a bad day. Now, to be fair, folks, that's only half a cent. That's what happens when you're down at 12 cents. But it does further add weight to what the view that I provided yesterday, that it would appear that the turnaround seems to be occurring in this Meditech business. So I'd be very interested to get your technical analysis view in regards to ALC, just to wrap uh, yesterday's commentary and today's developments uh, up, if you don't mind. Thanks. Yep. So you can see when it had that push down to, uh, where was it? Somewhere around 10, 10 and a half cents or so, a bit of, quite a bit of volume started to come in and it lifted off that level quite well. It struggled once it got up to 19 to 20 cents. It sort of backed off from there, had another retest. But since it's been coming down, you can see the, the angle of descent, I guess you can call it has been quite controlled. So I don't mind, It's it doesn't look like it's in a massive sell-off mode. It just looks like it's had a bit of a pullback. So it's coming back into that zone around 10 and a half uh, to 12 cents or so. So I would expect just by looking at that, it's gonna start to, to work its way back up off that level. 
Um, what you'd want to see is, say, a break up for around 14 cents or so, but supported by a bit of volume. So if you get that little rush higher from here and it starts to hold a higher low of um, 10 cents or so, then that's looking quite good. So it really is, um, obviously, it's in a downtrend since um, uh, probably June, uh, mid-June, but it's a lot different downtrend to, to previously when it got sold off quite hard. So I think a lot of heat has come out of that market. It's starting to find new buyers or fresh buyers at, at 10 and a half cents. And I think uh, moving back into that level, it's going to start to find some new buyers again and see if they can lift it up uh, through 14 cents or so. Now, Chris, I do want to touch on a stock you talked about when you were last on the program. It was a stock you helped to see the light on. It was um, NWR Holdings or NWH is their code. Now, they had an interesting announcement today. They basically told the market that Altura Mining, uh, the lithium miner, code AJM, who's gone into administration, they've uh, basically gone broke, has a commitment of money owing to uh, NWH. Oh, and folks, just also uh, for those that, um, you know, dismiss the power of fundamentals and why they're important to understand them, you know, you don't see it often, but sometimes it does happen. AJM in the about the six months prior to going broke actually rose over 200% in terms of its share price. So the idea that simply following the money trail is a sign of a company's health is not actually correct. And there's been other times in history, like I said, it's not that frequent, but it does happen. So you dismiss fundamentals completely at your own peril. I just wanted to throw that in there. Braddon, I know, I know, mate, I know, bite your lip. But in regards to, uh, just work with me here, son, it's my show. Uh, with regards to um, NWH though, Chris, uh, the market seems to have taken this development pretty well. Be very keen to hear your updated view based on the fact that you just talked about it last week. Yeah, sure, Elia. I think um, like all these things, you've got to keep it in perspective. Obviously it's not good news. But they state in the uh, announcement their exposures in the order of $9 million. So this is a business that's doing over $2 billion in revenue. So really at a $9 million hit, whilst they'd rather not have that, it's not going to make any material difference to their underlying result for the year or moving forward. No, so you're still, uh, still favourable on it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Overall, I think the business has got a lot of strengths. When you're in this mining services business, you're doing lots of projects. Projects yeah. carry risk, and this is an, an example of. There was an example last year with Gascoigne, um, and these things will happen in the future. You just got to factor that into your analysis and assume that, that there will be some of these negative events. But overall, you look at the, the prospects for the bulk of the business, and yeah, it's still very positive and still trading on a very cheap multiple. Excellent. Uh, great analysis there. Thank you very much, Chris. But you don't get away with that as being your only stock. We need two more stocks for you to help us see the light on in a moment. But before we do, Braddon, uh, now this is a ripper stock here, Triple G. I don't know if anyone um, out there knows about it. It's Greenland Minerals um, is the code. They're sitting on what could potentially be a one billion million ounce deposit or um, tonne deposit of rare earths out in Greenland of all places. Very chummy with the government over there, uh, particularly with regards to getting approvals and the like. And they've just had, you know, the the sort of another favourable review in regards to its environmental impact statement. President Trump's come out and said he might go and buy the whole bloody lot. He might buy the whole country. Who knows? Um, he can do all sorts of things. He has to win first and that'll be a miracle on itself. But stranger things have happened. Um, in regards to, to it, though, 
not much else I can really say in regards to the fundamentals. I mean, we know, and the rare earths space, not only here, but across the board has been running a little hot because the US, and you've got to understand why this is occurring, has said that they want to shore up uh, their supply. At the moment, China makes up around 80% of all supply of rare earths into the US. Uh, the US don't like that, particularly given the current uh, toing and froing that's across the board. So you've seen a lot of these rare earth miners across other places of the world getting a lot of support recently. GGG is one of those. Um, you can see its share price there. Um, other than that, not much else I can say. The quarterly update basically said everything is still going as per normal, but we've had no, really de no real developments there. From a price perspective, is there any light that you can help uh, shine on uh, GGG for Josh, please? Braden? Yeah, look, I, I think it's really good. It's, um, it's had a, obviously a big run up, it's factored in a lot. And then you've, you've been um, seeing some profit taking. So they had an initial thrust up, got to around uh, 30 cents, it's backed off from there. Then buyers started stepping around the 22 mark, uh, had another big push up through the highs, new highs, got to around 33. And again, when it was backed off, it was soaked up in, at a higher level. So at the moment, we've had that, that third sort of thrust up to around 34 and a half. It's backing off now, but I would assume that it's going to continue that pattern. Um, being obviously, from what you said, it's a really good quality uh, fundamental stock. So I would assume that if, if it gets back down to around that 27 mark, the same thing's going to happen. It's going to find a high low. Buyers are going to start stepping in a higher level and start to push it up. So it's really just channeling at the moment uh, for me, but it's, it's channeling an uptrend. So you're going to get those profit taken every time it pops up, any sign of weakness, you're going to get those short-term traders uh, leak out of it. Uh, but then it's going to get soaked up by those longer term because it's still relatively, for me, looking at it, 29 cents or so, just cheap price. So it's quite appealing uh, for a move a lot higher from here, if that's the case. Okay, and just for the benefit of Chris, who had a coronary heart attack then when you said that Elio said it's fundamentally great. It's not quite. There's a story <laughs> behind it. Still got a lot to prove in regards to that. So, Chris, it's okay, mate. Stand down. We can still keep doing what we're doing. Uh, but uh, we'll put that aside. I'll talk about that to you on the way home in the car. But in regards to uh, two stocks to help us see the light on, it's your turn. We're going to listen attentive attentively. We're going to then go toddle off and do our own research and see whether these stocks align with our own personal objectives and tolerance to risk. So what companies do you want to help us see the light on today, Chris? Okay, so I want to focus on two specialised manufacturers. One mm -hmm. is Veen, V-E-E, -E, it's the stock code, and the other is SDI Limited with a stock code of SDI. Yeah. Um, firstly, I do own both these stocks. They're both very small stocks with market caps less than $100 million, which means that they're pretty illiquid. Um, Veeam's a leading manufacturer of marine propulsion and stabilisation systems for large boats. So what that means is they basically make propellers and they make a thing called a gyro stabiliser. Now, if you've ever been on a boat, uh, like a ferry or something, and it's been, been out to sea and it's rocking around, the sensation that many of us experience, and myself included, is wanting to run to the side and lean over and hurl. <laughs> now, now, these things are quite amazing. When they switch them off, they literally stop that rocking. So you can imagine in terms of pleasure craft, you know, they're, they're targeting um, super yachts, you know, luxury vessels, and also sort of passenger vessels like ferries. And then in a commercial uh, market, they're targeting boats that service things like oil rigs and that sort of thing. And so what that means for those sort of operators is they can actually work in seas where previously they wouldn't have been able to because it just would have been too much motion. So that uh, gyro stabilization business is really the potential upside, the blue sky for this business. 
and they're already seeing quite a significant uptick in orders since the start of this financial year. Uh, the other company, SDI Limited, uh, as boring as its name sounds, they are a dental restorative materials business. So think things like amalgam, whitening, other dental aesthetics and um, dental equipment. And they sell to distributors who then sell on to dentists throughout the world. It's important to remember, you know, sometimes the most boring of businesses can actually provide really exciting opportunities. They did about 80 million of sales last year and then that declined to 67 million, or sorry, in 2019 they did 80 million and 67 million in 2020. Now obviously that was impacted by COVID because only emergency dental procedures were permitted in a lot of places. But of course, demand for, for dental services can only be deferred for so long. So at a, some point in time, that sales value volume is likely to be restored. They're, unlike many small businesses, they're profitable, they pay dividends, they have a strong balance sheet, and they generate good cash flow. Hmm. And they even have gone at least 10 years without raising any capital. Yeah. So they're all very positive if, you, if you're running a business. So if the trend towards increased sales of the higher margin products continues, the things like the whitening and the aesthetics, then I think that bodes quite well for the future. Yeah, well, they certainly hope so, Chris. They're pivoting their whole business towards, I mean, they've been on the radar for quite some time in regards to their dental equipment. <clears throat> but what we've uh, seen, that it's always been a little bit sluggish. But as you said, the whitening and the aesthetic stuff and the cosmetic stuff's really taking off. And that's the exciting uh, thing with the SDI and VEE. And I always look forward to getting on your 110-foot yacht to go out there, and at least I know I can do so with a lot more stability. Until that uh, day comes again, Absolutely. I can get out of Victoria, Chris, uh, from Spotty Consulting. <laughs> Thank you for jumping on today, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Elliot. It's great to be on the show again. And Braden Gardner from TradeDirect365.com.au. He's looking at stocks all day. He has no need for a big boat. So thank you for your insights today. And uh, just remind us again of that special offer you got too. Uh, so it's a rebate offer of up to $2,500. So you can check it out on the website. There's a bit of info on there. And it's TradeDirect365.com.au. Thank you very much. boy, That's the spirit. Thanks very much uh, for your contribution today. Now, tomorrow, we've got Kunal Sawney from Kalkine and our great friend Gary Stone from Share Wealth Systems joining us on the program. Now, remember, all our past episodes are on the website. Go to spotty.com.au to catch up on episodes there. If you can't tune in live, then send us your questions early if you like. A question at spotty.com.au or text us 0480-079089. And remember, if there's an expert you'd like to see on the show, get in touch with them and let me know, and I'll see if we can tee something up. And a number of you have already done that. They're in the works, so fingers crossed that happens. But I haven't had any responses to my calls yet from many of them. So please, even add some pressure on there. Make them know that you're interested. Thanks again to our sponsors, ShareWealth Systems. Remember, go to 16trades.com to learn the 16 trades of successful investing. Thanks again, Ticker, for letting us take an hour of prime time. Thanks, Mike, for pushing all the right buttons as always. Stay tuned for the Ben Robin Robbo Show, which is up next. And until tomorrow, I'm Elio D'Amato. You've been watching Spotty, and together we've been shining the spotlight on shares. Streaming live across Australia, this is Ticker News. 
Good afternoon, Alana McLean with the latest from the Ticker Newsroom. Melbourne pubs, restaurants and retail stores will reopen at midnight.